brought to you almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. Suds, suds, suds. It's time for more suds. It is definitely time for more suds here on Sips, Suds, and Smokes, where everything good in life is worth discussing. I am one of your hosts here at the table, good old boy Mike. Joining me here at the table is none other than Reverend Mark. Hello. He's saying that with a measure of solemn tone, like, oh, man. <laughs> and good old boy, Dave. Hey, kids, what's up? Uh, we have a great show ahead of us here. Our sud segments are all about beer, beer, and more beer. On our segment today, it is all about money, 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 or the <laughs> price of beer, plus a great round of beers from Cascade Brewing in a brewery takeover segment, as well as a crossover discussion on some of the price point and consumer impact on the beer industry as well. Reverend Mark gets the honors of going over our Suds ratings for today. All right, then. Our Suds ratings starting at one, going up to five. Number one. That sucks. Give me anything but a bud. Number two. Was that a belch? Number three. Ah, what a relief. I think that's the sound people make in in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Number four. A body should really not make that sound. I've I've heard a beer make that sound in, in Oregon. And number five, listen to that hang time. Give me another. That's, that's what you sound like when you uh, drink your Starbucks uh, half-calf latte too fast. In Portland. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking that's some, what some hairy women sound like in Portland. They got, they got so. a few of those. How about that? We've almost broke, I almost <laughs> broke our, our high water mark there, Dave. It, we're two minutes into the show. And I've already offended We're somebody. Never, I am so happy. I just, I, they're just going to greet me, you know, right there at PDX, going, "Yeah, we know you." <laughs> so I don't think so. Uh, today's show is a brewery takeover edition. We're going to be talking about beer from one brewery today. Uh, that is going to be all about beer from Cascade Brewing out of Portland, Oregon. The beers we're going to be discussing today are uh, the following. We have several beers, all again from Cascade Brewing, Bourbonic Plague, Sang Royale, Figaro, Noya. That's gonna. We're gonna have some grand debate yeah. about the pronunciation of that. That was pretty good, though. Thank I you. I, f- I faked it well. <laughs> Foudre, number one. Uh, Manhattan, the 2013 uh, version. And the vine, I believe, are all of the beers that we have here. I feel like I'm forgetting one, guys. Um, but uh, <clears throat> those are uh, the beers we have all from uh, Cascade Brewing as well. So, uh, yep, I got that one. Sang Royale. Mm. Figaro? Yep, got that one. I'll figure it out. Anyway, 
Um, <clears throat> Cascade Brewing is uh, really quite a unique uh, experience. And part of our conversation today is actually going to probably bob and weave between the beer as well as kind of the consumer impact of uh, this beer as well. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about Cascade Brewing uh, to begin with. When Cascade Brewing's Ron Gansberg tastes and blends one of his bottled specialty beers, he works in a dim, dry, oaky cloister of his barrel aging room surrounded by silence and a hundred huge barrels that once were held wine, port, sherry, and whiskey. Kind of sounds like some other deep, dark places that Dave hangs out in, but... Um. There's no barrels there. <laughs> Throw down another PBR, babe! <laughs> Beer such as saying, I know. Uh, I'm sorry, that's my experience, (laughs) not yours, Dave. (laughs) Mom, I hope you're not listening. Beer such as Saint Noir are made of a dozen base beers aged for different amounts of time in separate barrels and then blended together for bottling. It takes the definition of brewing and blending definitely to the extremes. Armed with a tasting glass and an amazing memory, Gansberg prowls his racks of aging beers and tasting and ponderizing is ponderizing as opposed to pondering or ponderosa <laughs> I'm like uh, uh, waiter I need some beer here at table 8 <laughs> so uh, he is pondering exactly whether I'm going to say the word pondering or ponderizing seized with by inspiration he unsheathed a multi-tool from his back pocket unfurls it into a pair of pliers and twists open the wooden stopper of yet another keg, adding another new flavor and layer to the beer. He's building in his mind each barrel is a different possibility. Now, one of the unique aspects of Cascade is that a bottle of beer, even Cascade's 750 champagne-style bottle, they sell for at least $20, and almost everything now is about $40 yeah. a bottle from Cascade. Ouch. Yep. <clears throat> um, that uh, brings us around to kind of the point of some of our discussion as we talk about the price of these particular beers, but beers in general. But to see the care in which Gansberg tends to his barrels and ages his beers, to watch him choose and blend stocks, to achieve the perfect mix for bottling and then to taste the dimension complexity of such beers as the vine, crack, apricot ale, all made with hundreds of pounds of fresh fruit, grapes and cherries and apricots respectively. Vlad the Imperial Ale or the Borblonic Plague, which we have here today, is to realize that Cascade specialty beers are raving bargains and appealing to beer and wine aficionados alike. If you are unaware, the Columbia Valley is actually in a, is in a place that's abundant with cherries and apricots, plus the rich vineyards bursting with grapes. Ron and Art Laurence, who is the other co-founder of Cascade, decided to use local ingredients and actually use barrels to cut down on the capital costs of fermenters plus the raw cost of uh, ingredients. Ron chose sour beer mainly for a lack of complexity in this style of beer. Cascade now keeps about 500 barrels aging but used for blending. Each one is unique and monitored by Ron. Some of the more recent bottles released have hit 
in excess of $40 a bottle. And I've seen them on the secondary market actually hit well north of $60 to $75 a bottle for some of the more rare versions of this as well. While this is not the most expensive beer ever produced, it is definitely propagating a discussion on what is the price tolerance for beer consumers. So <clears throat> it was interesting, kind of the discussion we had leading into this was, and what I found fascinating about some of this background information <coughs> is, is that they compared, you know, this kind of crossover in between beer connoisseurs and wine connoisseurs. And I don't think you can get a, better, a bigger wine geek and beer geek in any room than me. Um, and you know part of what kind of goes off in my head is that um, at least for wine I have kind of like a price point in mind for certain mm -hmm. kinds of wine you know it's like for a Sauvignon Blanc if I'm paying above eight bucks a bottle I'm probably paying a lot more than I want to pay you know for yeah. that or even for a, uh, a a, a great vintage you know uh, Bordeaux mm -hmm. um, that is a third growth you know I know that there's a certain dollar point you know that I have in mind for that it's like you know 50 bucks yeah um, or uh, so but I think part of that is that consumer aspect is something that has been established with wine and especially wine varietals, like I'm describing, because all those are, are varietals, or they're not blends. Well, Bordeaux's a blend. But um, they've been around so long that I think that they have con conditioned some of the consumerism, you know, around beer. As opposed to what's going on here, you know, with Cascade, is they haven't had the benefit of consumers understanding there's a price difference between Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet, mm -hmm. or the difference between a double IPA and a sour beer. Um, do you think that Cascade is helping to, let's call it, educate the consumer um, about the fact that not all beers are equal, and so therefore they shouldn't have the same price point? Well, I think they're serving to educate the already somewhat educated consumer. I do not see the, these beers as in any shape, form, or fashion being crossover beers for uh, the vast beer public, you know, that yeah. we are all trying to coax in the direction of just craft beer. So, but yes, they are educating, I think, a subset of consumers, and that's that's an important thing. Hmm. I, um, I would almost draw more of a parallel to whiskeys than I would wines with all the blending. Because, you know, you said he keeps 500 barrels there that they're constantly going by and blending and blending. That's almost more of a parallel to, to how some whiskeys are made to me than it is wines. Um, but I do think that, you know, it does cross over to, to, to lambics, you know, in Definitely, Belgium. I mean, right. that's, that's how lambics are made, and that's how they've always been made. And they are quite expensive, too, you know. But, again, you're not, your average beer consumer is not going to go pick up a twenty or thirty dollar bottle of lambic to take to you know to take and, and sit and drink Friday night. They're not going to go TV. to the beach and just kind of hang out right. with that. Is this what I'm is, saying. Yeah, this is not that kind of beer. This is a more of a special occasion kind of beer. Yeah. Um, and for that instance, and for that type of occasion, I would say this is fairly appropriate for that kind of thing because mm. of the labor intensity that goes into it yeah but is that some of your own uh 
experience playing into the rationalization of the price point that's kind of inserting itself because sure i I mean we all have friends that frankly that cringe at spending more than twelve dollars for a six-pack um and to them you know beer is about a a a budget (laughs) you know in fact um reverend mark and i have been around enough uh you know college kids to know that yeah they have a beer budget <laughs> you know, and to but them you, it's it's by volume it's not by flavor characteristic right. at all but that but that 24 again, pack of natty light at eight eight sixty two a case that rocks the house you know but, but you know but then again you have to segment out <clears throat> the beer buying demographics because a lot of beer buyers you know a lot of people who drink beer a lot and they drink you know beer all the time will still not let's say target their family vacation to Fort Collins, Colorado just so that they can go to certain breweries and visit that or they won't do a a road trip through St. Louis just so they can hit perennial. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, it it's a, it it goes it gets back to do you, are you a beer drinker or are you a someone who truly appreciates the complexities of a craft beer you know they're 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 two different things right and you can be both of those people too i mean there are days when i'm a beer quaffer and uh, there are other days or times of the day when i want a a nice sour beer and but i'm more of a uh, into a savoring uh sort of of attitude at that Mm -hmm. point so i can be both people so when you think about what Ron is doing here, uh, do you do you really think it's innovative, or is Ron just finally bringing over a concept that has been in Belgium for blending, you know, lambic and fruit style beers for twenty years? I think it's innovative that mm-hmm. he's doing this and bringing it to an American marketplace at the right time, mm-hmm. because ten years ago. He, this would not have been possible. No. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I can definitely say that, uh, <clears throat> one, I don't know that uh, a show like ours would even be talking about it because I just don't I don't know that uh, it would translate into any consumers even having the demand right, uh, right, you exactly. know, for this as well. So, yeah, so maybe this is, uh, there's several things at play here is that, you're looking at uh, the maturing characteristics of uh, sour beer buyers and the U.S. market, but you're also looking at the maturity of sour beer uh, makers and uh, being multidimensional. You know mm-hmm. about that as well. We we have a very good friend of the show, uh, Brandon Jones, that um, has been uh, creating a lot of similar style beers for Yazoo Brewing. And uh, is blending, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the beers that he's making as well, as well as, well as barrel aging. <clears throat> um, I don't know that I would put Brent, what Brandon's doing on parallel with what's going on here with Cascade. I think they're they're similar concepts, but I don't know that Ron it's and Brandon are going yeah. about it the same way. Yeah, I, I don't want to say one's better than the other. I just think they're unique and different. Yeah, um, you know, <clears throat> but I don't know that uh, I. <laughs> So one of the things that I've, I found strange about this article is that it was almost a, a measure of rationalization of saying you have to appreciate Ron's artist, 
artistry that that actually translates into um, paying more, right. you know, for these beers as well. And you know, it's a kind of a, a common concept that you know what I don't have to greet the cow to have a great steak. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. or frankly, I could care less about meeting the winemaker. I would rather have good wine before I meet the winemaker. And I think that holds true for beer as well. I, I would much rather have a great beer, and I could care less who's, you know, really behind it first. I mean, sure. I love I love brewers. I love I love winemakers. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love those people, and I love talking with them and the relationships, you know, that I have with those folks. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it's about what's in the glass. Um, it's it's not about shaking the hand of the cow right. or the butcher, for that matter. Um, so. I wonder if, if, and maybe it was just the way it was presented in some of this background material that I utilized, that it was almost saying you're paying for Ron's skill and artistry, you know, as opposed to what's in the glass. And I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I had a, a little tough stretch, you know, with thinking about it that way. But, you know, part of it may just be, you know, the way that I tend to think about, um, you know, approaching people that make, you know, food products or, you know, like this. Yeah. You're not paying for their artisanship. Again, you're paying, you know, kind of for what's in the class as well. <clears throat> well, um, so uh, I, I think the other leading question I have here before we actually get into the beers is, so what do you think about that $40 price point? Man, that's... This is the most expensive episode that we've ever created. So, yeah. um, and I mean... You know, we are around beer all day long, and we we buy we buy and have beer. You know, sent to the show. You know, about half and half. I mean, seriously, forty dollars a bottle. Where are you at with that? Well, I know there is a saying. You know, in the among among those in viticulture that that, that uh, work with work with vines and, and making wine, and that is, it takes a lot of beer to make wine. And I don't think they'd be saying that if they were buying this kind of beer. You know, I mean, the whole price point thing is that, you know, while we're really making this expensive stuff, we're drinking... It's all Nouveau <laughs> wine, baby. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I, I, I think that, that this may be sort of the the crescendo of where as as far as it's going to go mm-hmm. i i may be wrong but you're saying I, 50 bucks is the high end that's yeah, the ceiling yeah i also i'm wondering you know as we mentioned in another show has uh sort of the americanization of uh, boutique european products such as these sour wines that they're sour beers and see i'm calling them wine uh coming from of from belgium and you know the the great lambic regions you know that we are enhancing and creating you know from something that has been given to us from abroad i'm wondering you know how long it will take you know for other competitors in europe and places to start doing the same thing that's going on here and the price points may go down who knows hmm. i mean that, that has happened in the wine world so you're saying that uh, basically through the point of capitalization or capital market that you know basically it'll Great stuff will be priced great, and less than great stuff will basically be priced, you know, right off the shelf. You know, they'll nobody's going to look and say, "Well, I, I have the ability of buying four really great sour beers. Why am I paying forty for that one and twenty for that one?" Right. Hmm. I uh, I agree. I mean, um, <clears throat> if if the beers we tried tonight, and and let me say, they are all very very good. They're all very good. But they are not 
to a point where they are so much better than things that cost half the price uh, that I would feel comfortable paying this on a regular basis, even if it was available to me, you know, easily. Are you, you know, saying that, if you were married to a sugar mama? I'm saying if, if I lived in Oregon and I could get these or if they shipped these too, and if I was married to a sugar mama, I'd, I'd fly to Oregon like every other week and just get a few Hey, bottles. babe, i got to take the G5. i got to go get a beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be back next Thursday. But, um, you know, we, we know we drink really good stuff from Nebraska, from Perennial, from all over the country um, that that you can get for a more reasonable price. And while this is very, very good, I don't know that it's better to the point that this is a sustainable uh, price point for you know anybody. Yeah. Well, a great lead-in discussion um, on Cascade. <clears throat> uh, we're going to take a quick segment break right here. We're going to be right back, and we're going to start talking about some beer from Cascade as well. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sips, Suds, and Smokes on our Suds segment today. We are all talking about uh, beer from Cascade Brewing and a general discussion about the consumer impact on the price of beer in the U.S. market as well. We uh, have had the chance to pour all of these beers and taste them, and what we are going to be doing is each of our hosts here have picked their top three to talk about. They're going to be talking about their top three, their tasting notes, and then discussing their Suds ratings. So up first is going to be Reverend Mark with his top three picks. Okay, and I'm not going to introduce these as this is my top, second, third. These are just top three. They're all so good. This has been very, very difficult. Um, so the very first one that I'll introduce that uh, that I give a good rating to is the uh, the Manhattan. Ooh, great beer. Yeah, it's just a really <clears throat> nice uh, blend of, uh, you know, that tart cherry um with a little bit of bourbon sweetness but it's not sweet you know it's just kind of back there and uh the sour and the tart work really well together that's the main thing if i wanted to boil it down the sour and the tart work really well together on this one yeah great beer you know the one thing i didn't do here was uh, i was going to read through the description of all these beers and so i wanted to take a moment and introduce all these beers to our audience and tell them about them so the one thing we noticed about uh, all these beers is mm, they're very similar um, these are all what i would describe as sour wild ales yeah. in fact instead of me saying that eight or nine times I'm going to tell you in advance, these are all sour, <laughs> sour wild <laughs> ales from Cascade Brewing. Um, so Cascade's uh, uh, distribution is pretty regional as well. Um, pretty much tends to hang on the uh, western half of the U.S. Um, you can find some of these beers maybe in the Denver market. So um, a little bit in North Carolina. Yeah, barely, uh, barely, barely yeah. yeah. Might, uh, might find a few bottles uh, making it. Uh, that way, but definitely uh, within the California market, Oregon, Washington, um, pretty much that West Coast is uh, definitely the area where you'll find most of these beers. 
Um, I'll uh, I'll do, I'll give a shout out uh, at the end of our show to the folks that help source some of these beers uh, that we have here today. But first, let me tell you about each of these sour wild ales from Cascade versus Bourbonic Plague. Um, this is uh, has an ABV of twelve point one percent. I mean, wow, <laughs> it's definitely uh, hanging up there for sure. Uh, the next one, the Sang Royale. Again, this is a sour, but this has been declared a sour red or brown ale. Um, this has an ABV of 10.1%. Uh, percent. Uh, let's see. The next beer here is going to be Figaro. Um, a sour wild ale. Again, the ABV on this is 10%. And uh, the next one is Noyo. We're going to go with that, I think. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, well, it sounds good anyway. I faked it. Um, the ABV on that one is 8.9%. The next one is Cascade's Foudre, project number one. Uh, the ABV on that one is, I don't know. I'll figure that out. Somewhere around 9%. Uh, Manhattan, um, 2013. The ABV on that is 11.3%. And the last beer that we're going to talk about today, again, Sour, Wild Ale, all of these. Cascade, The Vine, um, we'll talk about this one for sure today, I'm sure. Uh, this is 8.85%. So those are all of the beers we're going to get to go over. Reverend Mark, I'm sorry I cut you off with your top three to go over those. So your next beer in my, your lineup here. My next beer would be the Bourbonic Plague. Wow, how about that? Another great beer. Yeah, I just I just think the, uh, <clears throat> the, the porter base of this beer makes for a more kind of obviously earthy kind of chocolate uh, sour offering um, that has just a little bit of a heady bourbon tinge. Mm-hmm. I also felt like the uh, the oakiness uh, kind of melds in a very different way uh, with a more kind of pepper-like spice uh, note uh, that seems to be just kind of lingering there too. So it's 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 very layered. And again, I kind of appreciate the fact that they used uh, at least for this. Uh, interesting concoction uh, a, a porter <laughs> is, i've never heard you call a beer an interesting concoction <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so what else is next for you so and then the next one uh that i was really smitten with uh and all the others that i'm not mentioning were very very good as well uh is the vine hmm. um, how about that I think part of it is because I really, you know, they're really hitting all the high notes with me in terms of just what I like in a Belgian beer. I like triples, blondes, quad, golden. It's all there, mm. blended together. Reverend Mark prefers blondes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You got that. You said blended blonde. That's <laughs> yeah, what I heard. Blended. Uh, like, is that like a dirty blonde? Yeah. And then it's... Um, <laughs> This this uh, I find it interesting. This white the white wine that that uh, grapes that are uh, sort of fused in there where, as it's as it's uh, pressed uh, or the pressed juice of white of white grapes. Um, I find it to be obviously kind of acidic, yet it has kind of a soft and rounded finish um, because of uh, the kind of grapes and barrels that they uh, they age this in. So for me, that's. That's the last one I wanted to hit on. Huh. <clears throat> Those are all really great beers. <clears throat> and uh, I just forgot to clear my throat another four times. Sorry about that. Great selection, and we're out of the shoot with uh, Reverend Mark's top three. Next up is going to be Dave with his top three. Okay, so 
the first one I'm going to mention is the last one that Mark mentioned, the vine. Huh. Um, I, I just put grape juice, fresh, fresh, fresh. That was my huh. thing. Um, it reminds me, when I was a kid, we had grape vines at our house, and it was just the little basic white grapes. And when I smell this beer, it smells exactly like those grapes when we used to pick them. Um, and it also kind of reminds me of church because I was a Baptist and we didn't really drink wine, but we get grape uh, Welch's grape juice, and uh, this tastes just like Welch's grape juice to me. Huh? You think we could sell this to Baptist churches we down here? We probably could, man. They, <laughs> things would get a lot more interesting at the communion. But I think it's I think it's a really solid beer, and um, I just really liked it a lot. Mm. Interesting. Um, my second one is the uh, the Foudre Project One, mm-hmm. which I just found out a Foudre is a large oak uh, kind of fermenter fermenting vessel, and this was the first one that they put in um, this one of their Foudres, and it's a blend of uh, triples. Do you think this is a dead-on copy of a Cantillon beer? <clears throat> because uh, it sure it, it, it tastes it an awful lot like a, the uh, uh, Le Pepe, or uh, I think that's... It, it definitely is along those lines. I won't say it's a dead-on copy, but it is, it is very much in the wheelhouse there. The oak comes out and, and um, smooths this beer out in a nice way. That uh, gives some nice notes to it. So that was my second one. I thought it was very, very good. And um, my last one is our favorite word to pronounce: the Nuyo, <laughs> Nuyo, which apparently uh, is it's either the nut of a stone fruit that you know inside part, or it's a, a liqueur made from brandy. Where you mix in some nuts or something. I don't know. It's got nuts in it somehow. But anyways, um, this one is another blend. It's like the vine. It's a blend of Blondales. My cup's got some stuff in it too. So apparently I got the bottom of the bear. Bottom of the bottle. Um, It's aged on uh, raspberries. And then almond um, noyo for like five months. So the raspberry really comes out, gives a nice tartness to it, um, adds some complexity to the body. So I really like that one, too. Hmm. I haven't given you any Sudge ratings. I noticed, and I skipped over uh, Mark. So I'll tell you what. We'll do something different with the Sudge ratings today right. than we normally do. So I'll step my, through my top three here really quick because uh, they're uh, identical to Dave. <laughs> so that'll be easy. <laughs> but my tasting notes are not the same, so... They're probably a little more in depth. No, um, I like yours, uh, and I think you were tasting some uh, some complexity in this. I think part of it is I think you were reading the background description on the beers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the same time, I just tasted these straight up, um, just out of the glass. I couldn't even tell you what they were. I just poured them and started tasting. So we'll call it a semi-blind, you know, deal. And then I went back and I read some of these, but uh, the. Um, the first one uh, that I picked is actually the vine. Um, what's interesting uh, is a stark contrast is that you think this tastes just like Welch's grape juice, and to me, this is a borderline cider. Wow. Um, that is, you know, definitely uh, the subtle difference between those. And actually, as you were, 
as you were describing it as well welch's grape juice i was like oh my god is my nose busted or what this week <laughs> um but no i i really i went back and and swirled and um sipped this and um <clears throat> it's not uh, full-blown granny smith um but to me it really tastes more uh like a cider um i can see that that is uh that's really coming off on this um i can tell it's been blended with something so it's not doesn't taste like a full-on cider but that was definitely the one thing that i wrote down was it really tastes like a strong apple cider blend Mm -hmm. and there's a few uh ciders that are much like lambics where they're different age ciders Mm -hmm. and they're blended together in fact we're going to have one right after the show Mm -hmm. um today um it'll be interesting to taste that right alongside this yeah um and you can read about that experience probably on Facebook because I know the first one they'll be commenting about that will be Reverend Mark <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, the second beer uh, that kind of caught me uh, again was this almost the same as Dave's is Foudre. Um, the uh, the tasting notes that I had around that are as soon as I turn to that page, um, you know, it had a uh, a subtle sweet tart uh, thing going on. Um, it was just very well balanced the thing i wrote down about this beer is this beer has the x factor i don't know what it is that i that it's striking me there's something about the the wood on this that is really kind of getting to me and going wow i don't know what that is but i like it yeah um and that's what was kind of leading me to that question of you know this really strikes me as very canteon like um Mm -hmm. with you know a couple of those beers that i've had um but it was that subtle sweet tart thing that was going on so many of the others they were very pronounced you know sweetness or tartness you know with them this you know the there was kind of a roundness you know that was kind of going around this beer that i really liked um and definitely that x factor i couldn't really quite put my hand on it it's something in the wood um that's kind of bringing it there the last uh, beer that uh, again was the same as Dave is uh, the Noyo, um, and uh, I, again I didn't read the description. So my tasting notes are: it really has a white wine overtone to it. In mm-hmm. fact, if you had asked me the barrel that this has been dropped in, it's actually a sweet Riesling barrel. It has some of the same characteristics <laughs> that um, I would find in a sweet Riesling, and that was one of the reasons that. You know, I think that it was kind of hitting me that this was a good this was a good uh, blend between a, a good wine barrel and a good beer. Yeah. Um, and so from that point, I really liked the fact that um, the uh, the beer didn't get in the middle of the wine, and the wine didn't get in the middle of the beer. I just thought that it was a really good balance, you know, kind of between everything going on. So all really good beers. Um, so uh, I think what I want to do with our suds rating is let's step through these one by one. Okay. And let's just offer up our, our suds rating on a one by one basis. Let's start off with Cascade Bourbonic Plague. Reverend Mark, what's your suds rating? I give that one a four. A four? <coughs> Dave, what's your suds rating on Bourbonic Plague? I'm going to go three. A three? About that. And that is the same for me as well, is a, a three as well on Bourbonic Plague. For the Cascade Sang Royale, what's your suds rating, Reverend Mark? Three. A three as well. <clears throat> How about you, Dave? I'll go three. A three. And uh, for the Sang Royale, for me, I rated it a four. Uh, 
the uh, Cascade Figaro. I give that one a four. A four. Uh, about that. Uh, and Dave, what's your sedge rating on uh, Cascade Figaro? I'm going to go a three. Three. How about that? Um, the Noyo, Reverend Mark. For me, I gave it a three. A three. And Dave? Oh, definitely a four. A four. Uh, How about that? And I'm going to stick with Dave on that. I'm going to give it a four as well. Uh, great beer. Uh, for the Cascade Food Rag, project number one. Reverend Mark? Three. A three. And Dave, what'd you give that one? Four. A four. And I'm going to be super special and give this one a five. Sounds like a belting party in here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like doing it this way. The Cascade Manhattan Northwest. How about it, Reverend Mark? Four. Four. And Dave? I'll go four. Four as well. And a four all the way around. Same for me on uh, that beer. Cascade the Vine. I'm giving that one a five. A five? How about that? I like that cider. How about it, Dave, for I'm, Cascade the Vine? I'm going five. Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm going to give uh, the Cascade the Vine a four. So uh, some uh, similar ratings on uh, each of those beers. You know, um, so I like part of the conversation that we had uh, kind of leading into this, which was, um, we had uh, seen that you know some most of these beers had been rated you know by consumers just right through the roof, and uh, you know we had a, a really interesting discussion, which is um, was the scarcity and the price of these beers basically driving artificially some of the perception and the quality of these beers? And uh, I see Reverend Mark nodding his head, so yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's a matter of perception. It may be a, a, a matter also of, of actual you know supply demand, um, but uh, I think it's a little inflated. In my, this is really really fine beer, but yeah. uh, depending on my budget per month, I don't know how many of these I would be springing for huh. per month. Wow, you can be banned with the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. so Dave, what do you think? I agree. I mean. Um, I think it's. I, I think they definitely put a lot of labor and intensity into making a great beer, but again, I I feel like the um, the price point is just over and above what a lot of people would pay when you could put this on a shelf right next to a Nuclearis or uh, a Wicked Weed or something else that you would probably enjoy just as much. Well, actually, a dollar for for volume, um, they're nearly close, you know, to uh, the same price point as you know some of those other beers you mentioned. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was a really interesting discussion I had with uh, um, with a, a brewer that's just kind of you know cranking up and and you know I think one of the questions I had was I don't get why people are putting out 500 milliliter bottles. Um, I don't get it. Um, because the thing is, is that you are commanding shelf space in a retailer to begin with. Yeah. And for you to sell basically a scaled down version of your beer, you know, in the same space, I'm not really quite sure what you're trying to accomplish by doing that. It doesn't 
from an economic standpoint, I, I'm not really quite sure that it makes any sense because I th- it almost strikes me that there's some meeting where some yield, you know, p- uh, neon, you know, moron steps in like a consultant and says, I think from a yield perspective, you, if you just drop your beer in a 500 milliliter bottle, you'll drop the price point, you'll sell more beer, and you'll actually be able to keep keep a, basically the yield you know characteristic on a volume. You'll be able to command a better price point. Um, <clears throat> and yet, every time I've hit the last drop of a Wicked Weed 500 milliliter bottle, I am pissed. I don't get another glass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And you see that in the food industry, you know, you don't always get a full half gallon of ice cream anymore or a full half gallon of orange juice anymore. And, you know, so you, I mean, I know we're, we're comparing. but No, it's but also, a similar concept. You know, yeah, when no. you're using those smaller containers, just the uh, the amount of, of space that you're using beforehand to store more smaller containers. And then, you know, there's always the spill factor that you're doing you know when you're putting liquid into containers it almost seems like you're losing more than you're gaining Mm. just by scaling up and and putting them in those larger containers and i know we also you know have have acquiesced to the fact that what drives these kind of beers up and arguably to a point it's it's fine is you know the barreling the blending and the tender loving care and the time itself that's fine but unlike wine, most beer is not dependent on, you know, like a certain kind of grain that is in short supply. Like, so for yeah. instance, like Pinot Noir, you're only going to get those grapes in certain areas, certain certain microclimates or whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's and why that's a very why the price, delicate grape too. Yeah, that's why the price is so high on Pinot Noir because there's <clears> just the not that much of it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. these beers, you're getting you're you're getting. American two-row barley that is not in short supply. Yeah, all the basic ingredients are really not in short supply. So it's you need to bracket that thing. aside. It's really the time and tender loving the, care and barrel and blending, which winemakers also invest in. The only uh, argument I could say maybe for the smaller bottles is that what really distinguishes beer from wine is that beer is carbonated. Hmm. You know, so if you're not going to finish that bottle of beer in one sitting it's more unless you've got a carbonator cap and a plastic bottle and you can recarbonate your own beer which 99 percent of the people in the world don't have yeah you're it's done after that one one thing i wonder why they don't do this and like anchor did this years ago with um the uh my mind's blanking on their uh their barley wine uh, but a lot of other companies did it at first, and that is put the really, you know, precious stuff in six and a half ounce bottles also. Because there are times when, right. you know, you could do, do that and just, I would love to be able to break it down like that. Well, if you have the bottling plant, I don't know why you, yeah. would, you, you wouldn't do that. Um, so I think one of, the, one of the beers I noticed Anchor did that with, you know, most Cold recently. Horn, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, you know, they did... They did that with their uh, Christmas beer. They, mm-hmm. you know, they sold it in 1.5 liter bottles, but they also dropped it in, you know, smaller, you know, uh, eight ounce bottles as well. Like they're eight ounce. Do you guys think more people will start using cans now that cans are 
not you know it, everything everything about a can is not a stigma uh, oh yeah as much as we talk about it yeah so yeah i think yeah. we were talking at, a, at on another show about the you know the year of the barrel and whatnot and yeah. year of the funk i think we it may be not the year but we're now into the era of the can hmm. and i really think that can, would be cool the, to have canteon in a can <laughs> all right well on that note <laughs> Listen, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to come back and talk about what's been going on with our sample cups in front of us and the bet that I didn't get to make with Dave. <laughs> so come right back for that really interesting discussion. Welcome back to Sip, Suds, and Smokes. Today's segment is all about beer, beer, and more beer. On the Suds segment, we're talking about beer from Cascade Brewing out of Portland, Oregon. We've had a chance to taste uh, about seven of their beers here and rate them today. And we've been talking about some other aspects about consumerism and price point with some of these Cascade beers today as well. So uh, I thought that I'd tell everybody kind of what's going on here in the studio and uh, kind of give uh, a little bit of inside uh, tip about what happens that I can tell when we have really good beer. We have really great beer when all of the sample cups are dead empty. <laughs> and what I find funny is, is that uh, we have not finished all of the beer in our sample cups here today. But I have to tell you what Dave did. So Dave takes each of these sample cups, and we only pour maybe about three-ounce uh, samples uh, for us to taste here. And so Dave pours all of his samples in one cup. Except it, for the vine. Except for the vine. One. Okay. So you, you blend it on your own over there. I and you were all six. And, and yeah. I, it was sitting over there, and I'm like, hmm, this is going to get interesting. I'm going to bet Dave 20 bucks that he will not chug <laughs> basically all the dregs that he has combined over there. But sure enough, I look over, and he has finished the it glass. Was, <laughs> it was better than any one of those other beers. That's a frat house cocktail. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> so I learned he, that from the Bunker Boys. You know, from, from, he has created his own Boilermaker for yeah. beer right in front of me. And I just thought that that was just so funny. I guarantee you, if, if either one of you would be brave enough to try that, you would really enjoy it. Uh, negative. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I can already hear Reverend Marcus going, I think that sucks. I think it sucks. You're not dead yet, Reverend Marcus. Not dead yet. <laughs> well, absolutely. It's a complete waste of time. It would be if we would step in and do that uh, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, it's just a, a really fascinating discussion, you know, that we've had. So, one of the other questions that I wanted to throw out about what Ron is doing that I thought was so unique is that he is not using any stainless fermentation tanks. Yeah. Um, and, weird. you know, the rationalization around that is that it's very difficult to get a hold of fermentation tanks right now. I mean, just the, the cost of stainless steel and manufacturing with large fermentation tanks is just really catching up with everybody. And... You know, I, I can see the discussion that's that was going on of going, we're in wine country. We have access to all of these wine barrels. Yeah. Why in the heck would we go to all of the trouble to buy stainless fermentation tanks when we basically have natural fermentation, 
you know, vessels that are just around us for pennies on the dollar yeah. of what it would cost us for um, doing stainless, you know, fermentation. Do you think that that really translates into an economic advantage? And do you think it's almost forced Ron's hand into blending that normally he didn't even get the chance of actually seeing was the base beer good to begin with? I think the economic uh, advantages are short-term because, uh, one, barrels are becoming every, you know, we had talked about this in earlier shows, everybody's barrel aging now. Mm-hmm. And so barrels are becoming more and more um, harder to get. The other thing is stainless steel, you buy it once. Once you pay that price, you've got it, it's yours. Barrels have a very short lifespan realistically when you're using them to blend beers and do things so um, I, I think that he's got a very unique approach to beer I think that's why his beers cost so much um, I'm hoping that the money that they're making off of these bottles of beer will give them the ability to buy some stainless steel. And I'm guaranteeing you that stainless steel will become more available in the next few years because so many breweries are opening up right now that will not, a lot of them will not be open in a few years. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. The stainless steel will be available. How about the question, Reverend Mark? I think that um, the way that he is going about this uh, is really, well, it hasn't created a a niche market, but it is expanding upon, you know, uh, a limited sort of consumer product that will always offer us something slightly different, uh, even with the the Foudray 1 and the Foudray 3 are going to be very different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I think that that there, there are enough, you know, beer aficionados that are going to, uh, you know, sort of catalog this stuff and sell this stuff. And, I, you know, so I, I think that he is, that he's created a niche that's going to, uh, you know, hopefully give him uh, a lot more uh, to work with in the future. So, hmm. so, well, <clears throat> so uh, last question um, of our discussion here is, if you had to create a wish list of what you wish Ron would do with a beer, what would it be? I have one to start, and I'll let you think about the question while I'm answering the question for myself. So I think that my challenge to Ron is I would like for you to make a really good old ale, and I would like for you to drop it into a Chardonnay barrel. In fact, I would like for you to drop it and blend between a Chardonnay barrel and uh, possibly a Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, you know, probably at the very end of the fermentation cycle. That I would really love to see from Ron as, you know, a blending challenge because I don't think that any of these are old ales. And, you know, because he's really decided to head down the path of looking purely at sour wild ales, I'd like to see something where he is using the same talents for blending characteristics without basically introducing a wild ale you know component to it so i know it's going to present some challenges in the fermentation cycle because i think you'd have to you'd have to ferment you know basically the old ale first um actually before you drop it into you know a barrel but that blending characteristic i really want to see those blending you know skills you know kind of get kicked up so if you had to paint out any recipe like that for ron what would you love to see him do 
Hmm. Deliver more beer to Dave's house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I would like to see, um, you know, kind of the opposite of what you want. I would like to see him really take on, and I know I, I talk about it every every show, pretty much session. Um, session sour. Session sessionable blended uh, sours. Hmm. You know, fresh. Uh, beers that are short-term aged in barrels um, that uh, have low alcohol but high flavor. Mm. And I think it's very doable. Interesting. Uh, Reverend Mark, any uh, any wish list for Ron about what you'd like for him to see him make? Yeah, I'd like to see what um, he might consider doing um, You know, with a, a beer that is at least in the primary fermented uh, as a lager. And then it would be huh. oh wow yeah, yeah. Dude, you know something like an ice box mm. and then to, and then to barrel, barrel age it yeah he's still hung up on that beer from BFM yeah 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 different show anyway um, well interesting uh, challenge uh, to the folks at Cascade and hopefully you enjoyed our discussion both about Cascade Brewing about or as well as the consumerism aspects of uh, some of what's happening here with Cascade as well. So uh, thank you very much. Listen, I want to give a shout out to a couple of uh, great places uh, that helped us source some of these beers for this show. Uh, one of the places is Perry's Liquors in Livermore, Calif- Livermore California. Um, a, a great, uh, really great store. I would say that uh, if you are out that way physically, uh, you need to drop in and uh, je- definitely check out uh, the folks at Perry's. Um, unfortunately, they do not ship, so you'll need to stop in in person and definitely would be well worth your while if you are looking for Cascade. They have a very good and abundant selection uh, there at Perry's. The other uh, place that I want to thank is uh, a good friend of the show, which is Craft Beer Kings out of Melrose, California. Um, also another really great uh, store. I really love uh, Mike and the gang have uh, really helped us find uh, sometimes some stuff that I'm like, I am one beer short of us actually having this show. And in this case, it was many beers short of having this show. And um, uh, they've done a good job of uh, sourcing Cascade out of that shop. Um, the great thing about Craft Beer Kings and Melrose is they do uh, ship um, Sweet. to a lot of places, and they have a really great website. Um, so, and a good program to help you buy in volume as well and reduce some of the price um, of some of these beers as well. So, I would definitely encourage you to um, check out either one of those places. Those com- completely unsolicited. I'm really happy to give a shout out to some folks that are doing some great stuff on the retail space as well. So that'll do it for our show today. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up our Suds episode. Thanks to all of our listeners here at Sip Substance. Sip Substance. Waiter, more beer. Table Mikey number nine. One beer short of a six pack. You know, if I had one of those boilermakers like you made, I could probably get through this. Try to give you one. Thanks to all of our listeners here at Sips, Suds, and Smokes. You can catch all of our episodes online on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, YouTube, Uncle John's Basement, and Spreaker, our native media host. Oi! Uh, our terrestrial radio stations, our hosts are always expanding. And if you'd like to hear them pucker up, 
and uh, send you a really great note and let you know that you are drinking some great beer. Um, send them a note. Ask them to put us on the air and copy us as well. Boy, I went around the block 12 times to get to that. You can reach us online anytime at info at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Hate mail can be sent elsewhere. <laughs> Leave the cork in at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Right. <laughs> Our daily tasting notes flow out on Twitter every single day, as well as Dave's characteristics. Our handle on Twitter is at SipsudSmoke. Our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of great news. Listen, if you have enjoyed our show today, do us a favor. We've not asked you to send us anything. We don't have any sponsors. We'd love for you to take the time to rate this episode simply if you're listening to us online. That's a really big help to us, and we get to see your feedback as well. I want to thank my co-host for being here for the most expensive episode ever here on Sip, Suds, and Smokes. Uh, Dave, thank you for being here. Hey, leave that cork in. <laughs> and you can uh, send fan mail to... Leave that cork, Leave the cork in at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Great. Reverend Mark, always a pleasure for you being here. Good to be here. Peace be with you. <clears throat> well, this is good old boy Mike asking you to join us once again and keep on simming. This has been a one-tan-hand production of Sip, Suds, and Smokes, a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life. From the dude in the basement studios, your hosts, the good old boys, will see you all next time.